This is the Florida Horse Podcast, presented by the Florida Thoroughbred Breeders and Owners Association. On today's show, Tammy Gant, Associate Vice President of Member Services and Events, visits with Lonnie Powell, CEO and Executive Vice President of the Florida Thoroughbred Breeders and Owners Association. Welcome to our podcast today. I'm Tammy Gant with the Florida Thoroughbred Breeders and Owners Association. And I am joined today by one of my favorite people who also happens to be my boss, and that's Lonnie Powell. He's our CEO and Executive Director of FTBOA. Good to see you today, Lonnie. Good to be here, Tammy. And so our topic today, I think Lonnie might know, is that we're going to talk a little bit about your life and legacy in our industry. And it's really exciting um, because it comes on the heels of winning the American Horse Council's Van Ness Award. So um, coming on the heels of that, what did that mean to you, winning this national award for achievement um, that really impacted um, several states and several associations and, and the industry as a whole? Thank you for saying that. Uh, when you're in this industry, I, uh, as some people know, I've been in this industry every day of my life. Uh, obviously, every day by my life means not by choice. I was, I, was, I was born into it, so this is the industry that I know and that I was raised in. And to make a career out of it that lasted as long as it has and to have worked with as many great people and organizations and uh, places and then have it recognized uh, when you weren't expecting it um, at a place that means so much to you, the nation's capital, by an organization that you've been a member of for 30 years, is uh, it's just amazing. I don't know, words could not describe my feelings when I was told just what a couple of weeks in advance that uh, I was going to be winning the award. It, 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 it meant an awful lot. Yeah, it's one of the first times I saw you almost speechless. Uh, and so it was, I could tell it was like a powerful moment for you and just kind of the culmination of everything that you've been doing in the industry. But you go back and you think about, like you said, you got to start in this industry um, because of your father and your family. And I come from the industry from the outside, always wanted to be an insider. So I feel like you are an insider in that sense. Um, and I know that your father instilled a lot in you. So talk a little bit about your father and, and what that was like. Sure. Uh, I think like all of us, uh, family plays a major role in how we turn out, whether it be, you know, combination of good, bad, or in between. So much of it has comes from family. And um, uh, my dad's side of the family just came from a long lineage of horse people. So the horses were, they were a means of, 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 of farming, of getting work done back in the days of my great-grandfather and my grandfather. And then my dad, they, uh, the family moved to California. And from the Western standpoint, it wasn't about farming. It was about ranching and ranching goats and cattle and things like that. And um, so they evolved that way. And um, he was a little guy. People noticed he wasn't scared of uh, he wasn't scared of many things. Um, oftentimes, uh, he had a bark much larger than his, his stature. His uh, his uh, five foot. I think he was five foot three or four, and uh, at the time he weighed less than ninety pounds. And so, at fourteen, uh, he was recruited to uh, ride in match races, uh, quarters match races on the Mexico California border. And uh, he started doing that at 14 and never looked back and went on to be very successful in Southern California in particular, but rode all over the place. In fact, my first roots in Florida, I had no idea. I'd end up here 
50 years later or longer, 55 years later, was um, Hialeah Presbyterian Elementary, was uh, where I went to um, elementary school, first grade, because my dad was, uh, towards the end of his career, he got recruited to ride out at uh, uh, Hialeah Tropical Park and um, also the Illinois Racing Circuit to Arlington and uh, Hawthorne and Washington and Sportsman's Parks and so forth. So um, I learned a lot from him. I also learned that um, I would never want to be a jockey. Um, it's a tough life. Uh, genetics kind of uh, allowed me to not have to consider that one too too tough because I was the the, the size of my father when it came from a weight standpoint to in fifth grade, sixth grade as he was when I was born. Um, but um, it was never understood that this would be the business I would be in. But it was understood it was the business that put the food on our table, and it was the business that was, was very sacred. And so that was the backdrop. But I certainly, at the time, had no plans to uh, make a career out of it. And yet I had one year of uh, uh, when I was, I guess I was 14, 15, still wasn't really legal enough to work, where I, I went and worked in the cornfields. Um, just to get away from a lot of my, my dad's heavy labor at the house because I always assigned a lot of heavy labor. He was a taskmaster. Um, and then every year after that, I, I came legally licensed in Idaho's where I grew up after California. At 16, you could get a racing license. And then that's when I started doing the, uh, the restrooms and the, and the garbage routine and all that at the little local racetrack at the time called the Western Idaho Fairgrounds. So Lonnie, when you bring that up, it makes me think of an inflection point around that time in your life, which was your involvement in Future Farmers of America. And I know when you go out in the community, I hear you mention that a lot. So what 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 in that change for you that helped you um, build your career? Well, I think um, F FFA or the classroom component of it was called vocational agriculture. And it was a an elective you could take in the Idaho high school system, as I think it is in, in, a, in a lot of states. And I opted to take it um, I was curious, uh, having moved from California to Idaho, it was a big deal that we were in an agricultural community. Um, we had all kinds of farm animals um, at, our, at, our, at our place. And at the time, um, you know, it, we had horses, uh, uh, cattle, but I was particularly uh, into uh, chickens. And so I knew you needed a project. And I thought, well, maybe chickens will end up being my project or maybe horses or maybe the sheep or maybe the cattle, whatever. Uh, but I took it skeptically. I wasn't so sure I was going to like it. At the time, I really wasn't in this. I was into the classroom, but I was not socially uh, um, adept and I was not uh, I, w I was not outgoing at all. And I, I didn't know, um, you know, what to get out of it. And um, I, I can remember one of the first things they, they did. Uh, first of all, I had a really dynamic teacher. And isn't that kind of what makes a difference yeah. for so many of us is a dynamic Completely. teacher. In fact, he is alive to this day. Uh, my sister just ran across him at a fair. He was a judge at a fair in Idaho and sent me his picture. And the last time I was in Boise, Idaho, which is about five years ago, I had lunch with him. He was wow. that important to me. But uh, he told us all, hey, you're going to have to do public speaking for a part of your class. 
you know, everybody just groaned. I mean, we were, we went from looking at slides of cattle and identifying what a Holstein versus an Angus, Angus was, and then all of a sudden we're told they're going to be public speaking. And so most people acted like it was the worst thing that could happen. And I decided I'd give it a go. I had no idea how I'd do, but I often, as a kind of a uh, loner kid in my bedroom, I had one of these old tape recorders, and I'd often kind of do little broadcasts with myself and stuff like that. So I kind of liked the idea of, of talking or doing something like that. So um, I, I kind of went up there with no expectations in the classroom when they make all the students talk and did really well, got lots of praise and enforcement. And that was at the same time that I was doing sports, really, for the first time, seriously. And everything was going on really well there too and it just gave you some confidence and the ffa you know over those four years with ffa i think the biggest impact they have on kids which most people think oh it's learning how to weld or it's learning how to tell seed corn from i don't know strawberries mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. you know again holsteins from magus now I, th I think it's the leadership component and it really stuck with me, especially the public speaking. And I ended up, I mean, being on a, starting from a freshman on, almost on a, I guess I had no idea because I wasn't in it to compete, but on a four-year quest to be state um, champion speaker, um, who the, uh, my biggest opposition were the guys that were two years ahead of me in my own school and my own FFA chapter. They were both going to be state public speaking champions. And I competed against them all the way and knocked heads with them. And uh, finally, wow. you know, I got that done and became state president at the same time my senior year. And I look back at just all that FFA uh, experience and plus the fact that having the agricultural background and like you, like so many, I had a lot of agricultural background, not only at home, but also in my, my, my college training and so forth, that uh, it, it really tied in together wonderfully. And, you know, horses are such an important part of agriculture, as we know. So I think it comes full circle that I'd be receiving that award in Washington, D.C. on behalf of all breeds and disciplines of horses, but also very much because of that involvement with agriculture that whole way. And, it, and I still am very involved with the agriculture community here in the state, yeah. the community, as you know. So what, what's interesting is, as we segue, I think that you know, you, your story tells about your competitive drive, which is something that you need as a CEO in this business and talks about also your scrappiness and your tenacity that that you see something you're going to go after and you're not afraid to get in the fray and, and make things happen. And I think the American Horse Council with that award sees that, right? They look and they say, this is someone that didn't just go and fill jobs. They were impactful in those jobs and they made a difference. And so I know one of the things when you gave that speech, there were a number of people that came up afterwards and said that it was amazing to see your passion in the industry. So where do you think your passion in the industry comes from? And also, why did you include, I know you named the horses in your life that were in the speech, and you talked about the states that impacted you. Talk a little bit about that. Well, excellent, excellent questions all the way around. Um, uh, first of all, the passion is, um, it, I don't think passion can ever be forced. So let's just say I'm very lucky, and I do think I owe a big part of that to my dad because, you know, to be a jockey, if you're not passionate, you're not going to really do well because it's a dangerous career and there's lots of things to get in your head. But if you have passion 
And he was very competitive, by the way. I mean, when he wasn't racing horses. So that he, comes from dad, not ride, mom. Riding, yes, <laughs> he was riding bulls. He was racing cars. He was racing motorcycles. No, mom was for the, the reasonable person in the group who made a pact with me that I would never make a career in the horse industry when I was in uh, junior high. And I made that pact with her gladly. Um, and uh, now there's been no one more proud of what I've been doing. But anyway, getting, getting back to the, the body of work, if you will, I guess why that was an interesting thing for me is um, I, I'm uh, 62, and when you start, when you get to this point in life, you start, you know, it's like you, know, you hear the saying, you've got a little more, uh, a little more behind you than probably available ahead of you, um, but you still have lots of things you want to do, and you're, you're still very vibrant, and you, and you try to be impactful and relative to realize that the, what you've done behind you is recognized and still carries forward with you. It's, I've never had that feeling because I've never been this old before. And those states of California, you know, those, those thoroughbred, and in some cases quarter horse, in some case greyhound um, industries in um, California, Washington, Oregon, uh, Arizona, Kentucky, uh, those, were, those were some great organizations, some great industries, some great times, some tough times but extremely important and 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 were such a huge part of, of my life and my career. And I also firmly believe if I hadn't done all those things, those those people and faced all those challenges and those opportunities, I would nowhere have been the type of executive that FTBOA needed when uh, FTBOA recruited me almost 11 years ago, it's hard to believe, because by then I had led all these different racing organizations from all these different perspectives. And here in Florida, this is not uh, this is not a game for softball when it comes to the gaming paramutual industry. I mean, some would call it a contact sport. I have it's elbow throwing, uh, but it's 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 having that passion and channeling it in the right way um, to to make good things happen. And certainly the horse council, I appreciate them recognizing a lot of my efforts in those state capitals and with all those different types of horsemen in those different places because it has been a it has been a journey. And I'm so glad this is where I am as part of that journey because it's it's such a the right place to be. I've never enjoyed being at a at a place more and living in a place. The quality of life is just unbelievable. And as people are going to hear through these podcasts and through other things we're doing, uh, we have a lot of things going on and a lot of things we're doing. So we're still out there making a difference. And for an association like ours, that's really important to continue making a difference on our members, on our industry, on our community, within our employees. And, you yeah. know, it's, um, it's, it's, to me, it, it all just strings itself together. And as I look at it all, it's just, it's just amazing. I feel very humbled and blessed. FTBA has a lot of innovation and we're always forward thinking. And a lot of that is your leadership with the team that we have here. And I think you're one of those people that finds a good team, puts great people in, in their place at, for a position and really um, lets them excel and find those places that really work well for them to make a difference. And also along those lines, I, you have that team at home, your family that that is very entrenched in the horse industry and they're all in different stages of careers and, and what they do in life. And 
And I think they bring a different perspective to your leadership for FTBA. So if you want to talk a little bit about both of those. Yeah, two very important things to um, probably any any executive doing almost anything is obviously it's going to be the, the team of people that they, they have around themselves. And here at FTBA, um, we have a, a great uh, group of employees. We're, we're small but strong and dedicated. And like you said, uh, uh, lots of good ideas plus hard work combined under one roof. And by the way, a lot of a lot of laughter and a lot of backing each other up and helping each other out. So I'd like to think that most of my management teams were of that type of a feel at the different places I was at because otherwise a CEO is nothing without the team. Likewise, if there's no support at the home front, um, it'd be a really tough career because it is not always easy on the family. Uh, you look at my situation with all the uh, promotions and reassignments to you know building new places or turning over organizations or turning around organizations. Been all over the country. Late hours, long, Late long hours, stints long. in Tallahassee. Yes, yeah, yeah. so state capitals, Tallahassee more than any. Um, lots of laughter again, lots of opportunity, but easily outweighed by challenges and intensity, uh, you know, to get to the good things. So family's really important. I, I come from not only is it to my, you know, my side of the family that's that's very horse. Uh, my wife came from a horse family. Um, uh, she was a she was a saddlebred and still is a saddlebred enthusiast. Um, her parents were thoroughbred uh, um, owners and breeders, and her father, after he retired from being a teacher, was a thoroughbred trainer. Uh, my daughter was a championship hunter jumper, and even my my two sons, who now are both in the auto automotive business of all things, working for each other here locally, um, they'll be the first to tell you they couldn't have got to where they were at without the horse business as their platform. So I think you know, uh, yeah, if you come into our house it's a little spacey because there's a lot of horse stuff on the wall people and, and, yeah, and i know. think you left out one of the the breeds yeah. there in uh, Mos moscow oh, how yeah. you say it? moscow idaho moscow idaho um where i went to my first two years of college at the university of idaho go vandals uh silver and gold uh, they don't win many games but it's a great place to go to school <laughs> is um uh i stayed at farmhouse fraternity by the way by the way to reemphasize my commitment to agriculture and was in the college of agriculture there before transferring to the university of arizona college of agriculture but in Moscow, Idaho, during the winter when the track wasn't racing in Boise, Idaho, which is about six hours away, I worked for the Appaloosa Horse Club, the Breed Association for Appaloosa Horses at the time, uh, headquartered in Moscow, Idaho, because that's the birthplace of the Appaloosa Horse with the Nez Perce Indian tribe. And I worked in the freight room with the Appaloosa Horse magazine. I stacked those. I cataloged them. I changed the light bulbs. I cleaned the bathrooms. So, so just so yes. you know, while you were doing that, I yes. was a little kid riding the Appaloosa Horse Club asking for their Appaloosa racing guide because they were one of the few that had a guide about Appaloosa horse racing. They did. I remember those guides. I stacked those guides. That makes me feel very old, too, by the way. Oh, the other thing I remember just as a, as a college, uh, that would be a college sophomore, is counting myself, there were um, three male employees and I think probably 50 lady employees. And so that offset some of the burden of the terrible work I did. And whenever I needed to get volunteers from the fraternity to help me out on weekends or whatever over there, boy, I could line up. Uh, you were already, like already forming the teams. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of alma maters, I, I, I'm... 
I would be remiss if I didn't mention that you and I both um, went to the University of Arizona Racetrack Industry Management Program. That's correct. As, as does our teammate Brock Sheridan. Yeah, here. so Brock Sheridan. Uh, you know, we also have some folks locally here. Tom Ventura with Ocala Breeder Sales, who's president, and a number of other, other folks here mm-hmm. in Florida. And but, but I think you did something that none of us did, which you actually then became the coordinator for the program. Right. And so it would be remiss if we don't say, go Wildcats. Go um, Cats. Bear down, University of Arizona. Do whatever our red, it takes. white, and blue. Do whatever it takes. Um, we, I think we bleed that here as far as when you walk down the offices. There's yep. so many of us. And we've had interns, too, That's that right. come from that program. Anyway, and, uh, it, you know, it's, it's still, it's a great program. Uh, people from Todd Pletcher to uh, Bob Baffert to, as Tammy says, Tom Ventura here at OBS. Um, to Chuck Simon. M- Chuck Simon. Um, uh, uh, you go to any racing state, any racing track, some of the top senior racing officials and managers at any association or track comes from the University of Arizona. Um, we're proud of being from that program. It was established in 74 and still out there. Robert Hartman's the new coordinator, and they're still out there doing a good job uh, training students for responsible careers in all aspects of the, the racing and gaming industry. So go Cats. Yeah, and I think... I think what's interesting is you still give back there. And I think when you look at a national award, you know, you're not just putting a seat at the table at our state and national level that we need as an industry, but you're also giving back to those that gave to you. So on the advisory board um, for University of Arizona, been to almost every symposium and um, also been a speaker on many dockets. And I think that that bodes well for each state that you've been in and represented an association or, or an organization. And so I, a lot of that, again, ties in with where you are today, because without that experience, maybe you wouldn't have been that person that says, yeah, I need to get on those dockets. Those are important. I think that's a pretty good point. Thank you for mentioning that. I, I think as the as time goes on, first of all, you just develop a broader perspective, more empathy, and, and more of a desire uh, in giving back. I think, you know, I notice even when I when I do postings these days of my thoughts, yeah, they're often still very much business driven. But I'm I'm stepping out more philosophically and and and, and trying to make a difference in life in general. And I just think that uh, you know, as I look at things, and we've made this journey and we make this journey, um, if we all can advance each other, you know, treat each other with respect. And, and and try to do things that are helpful. I mean, I I think most of us would much rather build than tear down. Yeah, um, uh, you, you all float, you know, float higher. We lift all boats. And I think yeah. that when I think of that, which I this would kind of be our segue to to end the the segment is that one of the places people can reach you is on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. I'm also on LinkedIn, but that's a place where you give a lot of praise to others, and then you give praise for our industry, and you also put our industry message out there. So I think that that love we have for the industry shines through. In, in those areas, you know, um, not just our own media, but but our personal media, because LinkedIn is a little bit of both, right, right? Right, And so I think that's a great place for someone to maybe reach you or I, or mm-hmm. you can always reach us at F2BOA or F2BOA.com. Is there any final thoughts that you have, Lonnie, about our show? Oh, I, I just think that I'm very excited about uh, what we're doing here um, with Sean Kaplan and our partnership to broaden out our broadcast experience and our outreach to our members and our industry and our community. Um, this was part of a, of a vision package that if we could do something on a move forward basis to have an impact, we would have loved to have had a studio and a trusted partner uh, within our own building uh, to advance the message of 
of the Florida Thoroughbred Breeder and of our association and of our industry and to promote our community and state. And I think Sean's talent and the history we have with he and his folks and putting on some, I think, excellent programming is very exciting to me. It's one of the, the ongoing uh, future and ongoing initiatives. I look forward to working with you and Brock and Steve and Sean on and seeing this, this thing grow. But I think this is a this is a great opportunity, great forum for us to start getting some stories and messages out there. I think so. And I think it gives people a different perspective of who we are as an association, who we are as executives and leaders in our industry, and, and also just um, what we're about as far as the Florida thoroughbred industry to promote our mission of the Florida Thoroughbred. But also, we like like you said with Sean, we have the Horse Capital Television, we have Horse Capital Digest. So we do look at all those breeds and disciplines, especially here in Ocala, which is the horse capital of the world. And so I think that's really, really important. I appreciate your time today. Thank you for coming in. I'm sure we will be doing um, more of these in the future. Where else would I have been? I'm at work. That is true. That is true. And this is coming from you at Horse Capital Television Studios, recorded here at the Florida Thoroughbred Breeders and Association offices in Ocala, Florida, the horse capital of the world.